This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the short code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. On today's show, physician assistants. We all love them. I don't know. That's yeah. <laughs> I wrote that today. What I'm pretty intro. proud of it. I'm pretty proud of that right. <laughs> I feel like we almost need to restart that bit. No. <laughs> We're going to explore the physician assistant profession. It's PA week. It's PA week. It's PA week. That's why we're doing it. With me today is PA2 Liz Patton. Hi. We've got PA2 Chris Ball is here. Dave, it's been a long time coming. Happy to be here. Nice. M2 Rick Gardner is here. What's up, goofy goobers? And we've got M2 Brianna Wright. Hello. Thanks for having me. Our sponsor today is Panacea Financial and Nationwide Digital Bank. Built for medical students that was built by doctors who lived through financial frustrations themselves. Whether you're a fourth year medical student, a resident, or an attending physician, Panacea offers free checking with no ATM fees nationwide, 24-7 customer service, and loan options designed specifically for you. At Panacea Financial you can get a PRN personal loan up to $15,000 as a medical student funded in as little as 24 hours at less than half the interest rate of a credit card. You can try their PRN personal loan for a better way to cover expenses such as relocation, board exams, or residency applications. Medical students and residents can have a period of no or reduced payments. And to top it off, every Panacea Financial customer gets their own free personal banker who is a phone call or email away to provide the personalized service you deserve no matter where you move in your career. If you're ready to join the growing number of physicians nationwide who experience more from their bank, visit panaceafinancial.com today to learn more. Panacea Financial is a division of Primus, member FDIC. Thank you, Panacea Financial, for your support. Appreciate that. PA Week. Yay! (laughs) The The nationwide celebration where there's parades. Maybe. There's uh, celebrity and there's celebrities uh, talking about P- what? What is PA Week? PA Week. I actually don't know when it was established, but it is a time to celebrate the profession of PAs and also to raise visibility for our relatively young profession in the realm of healthcare. When when was uh, relatively young? When was when, when was the first PA created? In the mid 1960s. Yeah. Yep. The PA profession started out at Duke University. So post-war, there was a physician deficit and... A physician deficit, you say? A physician deficit. What? That never happens. Never. Completely novel. I feel like we're always in a physician shortage. Yeah. Anyway. Does seem that way. Yeah. Hence the important roles that PAs can fill. Yeah. So Dr. Eugene Stead worked with some of his colleagues to create kind of a model profession that he saw as a healthcare provider that would extend the role of physicians and be able to see more patients and serve populations that needed help and access to care. And he started with four Navy corpsmen who had previously worked as medics. So these were people that did not come in with no previous medical background. They knew quite a bit and as many veterans will be able to tell you, people that are serving actively in the military in a medical role, you get a lot of experience. Yeah. So these were people coming in knowing quite a bit already without a certification to put with that. And he basically worked to put them through an accelerated, condensed medical school curriculum and turned them loose and had them start working in a provider capacity. Trivia question. Okay. Ready? Uh, Let's do it. Who was the first PA in Massachusetts? If you know the answer, don't say it. Who was the first PA in Massachusetts? Chris. Graduated from Dartmouth. 
No, no, idea. no idea. No idea. No idea. <laughs> yeah. It was my father. Hey, let's hey. go. Really? Uh, yeah, he was the first That's PA awesome. in Massachusetts and began working in, I think it was 1972. Yeah. Maybe a few years after yeah. the first PA class. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So anyway. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. May I ask Chris and, and Liz, <laughs> what brought you to want to be a PA? So for me... I knew I was interested in the sciences. Yeah. I actually explored almost every healthcare profession under the sun, including nearly starting my PhD at Mayo mm. in researching pharmacology. And I chose the PA profession because I ultimately wanted something that would provide me the ability to critically think and care for patients in a diagnostic capacity without the lengthy time commitment that medical school and residency require but many of the privileges that a provider relationship has with patients okay i mean what about you chris she gave a pretty good summary of a lot of the higher tier points you hear from a lot of pas it's a shorter program than med school so you do get to get out and get to see patients a little bit earlier with that comes a little bit less debt along with it but then also one of the biggest things for me is i don't know where I'm going to be at in life once I graduate and, you know, what my personal life is going to look like. Maybe you want to come out and work in the ER for a little bit. If I settle down after that, maybe I'll go into a primary practice. That flexibility that the PA profession allows, being able to pick your specialty on the fly and move around, huge for me. Yeah, you don't have to go back through residency, for instance, like an MD would to change specialties. Correct. Yeah. I would second that. I also wanted the career flexibility. I knew I loved medicine, but it wasn't everything to me and not that it has to be everything for you to pursue medical school i think that's an important point to make but i wanted the flexibility to be able to say if i want to change professions in 10 years i will have paid off my debt and be able to do so did you uh md types consider consider pa or were you always md So I actually didn't learn about the PA profession until I got to college and I didn't have, so no one in my family is in the healthcare field except my aunt. And so I didn't know much about the PA profession, but I knew that I wanted to have the ability to specialize in an area. So Mm -hmm. I think maybe a more different approach of how I wanted to, you know, be able to treat patients possibly yeah. specialize in you know infectious disease or gastroenterology or something like that okay. so yeah you know i had heard of pas so when i initially started shadowing i got to shadow a physician my orthopedic surgeon and he had a pa working under him so i got to shadow both and i got to see just the different lifestyles in the way they practiced in their private clinic and i just i thought it was interesting i like the autonomy of the physician i i definitely saw the utility in being able to change specialties and have that control over where your lifestyle was going to be as chris mentioned but for me as like brie mentioned i wanted to be able to really focus in on something i really love the heart and like i want to really focus in on the heart and know everything about it as well as like i wanted to have a research career as well and i know Mm -hmm. at least at that time and still a little bit now i I feel like that better correlates with medicine or as a uh a doctoral physician program versus like a a pa program Mm -hmm. what do you think does that is what these guys talking about um valid absolutely Uh, yeah yeah i I think that sometimes people try to pit the professions against each other. Yeah. And I don't want to, and, and I want to be clear when I, when I ask about differences, I, I don't want to pit the, the professions against each other, but I am interested in, cause, because, and, the, and the reason I asked that question just now was, you know, PAs can specialize to some extent. Yes. Correct. Mm-hmm. But they just don't have to do it the same way that MDs do. Yes. So I think absolutely what Rick and Bree were saying is completely valid. It's a personal decision. And with both choices, going the doctoral route, MDDO, or physician assistant, you have to accept the limitations that come with that. So Rick and Bree are saying, I am willing to take on commitment to a specialty, a longer training program in order to achieve my goals. And Chris and I are saying, I'm willing to accept that even if I specialize, I will not have the in-depth training that a resident in cardiology or GI will have. Even though I may be able to practice in those specialties, I need to know my limits and see patients that are appropriate for me to see with my knowledge level and the relationship I have with my physician. Cool. Love it. Here at Iowa, we're a little weird. 
Keep Iowa weird. Keep That's Iowa weird. <laughs> we here at the University of Iowa, we're a little, we're a little weird. We train physicians and PAs together, at least during the preclinical curriculum. So MDs, you do four years total, a year and a half of preclinical, and then mm-hmm. two and a half years of clinical work. What do the PAs do? So we have a very similar program to them, minus we're missing the advanced specialty rotations that you guys will do at the tail end of your four years. So we will do that same entry year and a half didactic program with the med students, same classes, same small groups, et cetera. Then we move on to our core clinicals for a full year, same as the med students. We have a little bit different emphasis on which rotations we prioritize our time into, but we do hit all the core rotations. We then graduate that at that two and a half year mark, and then the MD students move on to their advanced residencies. What do you think the side effects of doing your preclinical training together are? Are there? I, I mean, it seems like there's a big benefit there. Oh, I, I think to it's, meet Chris. That makes <laughs> that's me really good. Happy. That's yes. good. At the very least, it's a good start. We talk about the differences a lot, but then similarities. I see what Liz and Chris go through for this first year and a half, and at least at Iowa, like I know that they're being trained as comprehensively as I am, and in my mind is like that's credibility. Like I know that they're getting a lot of this background knowledge instead of learning just the what and uh, the how, but they know the why, and I think that's really important. And so that lends its way to making it more collaborative just inherently because I, I trust them because they're going through everything that I'm going through, but also like I'm working with them. We're collaborating actively in the process of our own success together. Mm-hmm. I mean, I connect yeah. with that from our point of view as well. Just like you said, you get kind of a validation as to what we're learning and it's very comparable to you guys. We basically get an advanced head start into working with MDs, collaborating and being a part of that group. And you kind of hear all the time, there might be some divides here and there in the hospital about whether a PA and an MD really get along in their practice rights, et cetera. But we really get to see that we work alongside you here at school, in the hospital, et cetera. We're already building that relationship of relying on you guys, just like you guys rely on us. And I think that'll be a massive benefit to us when we go out, get into the workplace, reach the clinic, and know that we're still elbow to elbow each other, there for our patients in the end. I am... Honestly, so grateful to like train and work alongside PAs. Some of my best friends in medical school, aka Liz, are. <laughs> I'm so happy to have met her. But when we are practicing healthcare providers and, and working on the wards, it really goes to show how important teamwork is. It takes a village, honestly, to take care of a patient. And you have OT and you have PT and all of these different specialties coming together. So be to be able to learn about the training of PAs and develop like a strong relationship with them, I think is really important in the healthcare dynamic and facilitating like a positive atmosphere. Yeah. And to echo what Bree said, I am a big proponent of taking a gap year and <laughs> typically, which I think is really interesting based on the history, it, you know, when the, you describe the history of how PA started in those first uh, people that were being trained, they were people that have a lot of clinical experience already. And that still is the case. You know, the average here at what was it? Iowa is like 4000 hours, which is like equivalent to like two years of practice. And being trained with PAs, you know, I personally have some clinical experience. Sorry, when, when you say the average, you're talking about the average that PAs need to have in order to get into yes. Yes. So clinical experience yes. hours. Yes. Okay. PAs, yes. in order to apply to the vast majority of schools, require a minimum number of clinical care hours that can be fulfilled by many different experiences emt work nursing sure, medical sure. assistant okay i'm sorry to interrupt i just no to i think that's if i didn't you know illustrate that well enough it's good to clarify i have some clinical experience but they have i mean typically compared to the md students they have vastly more and with that comes a lot more experience and understanding of how healthcare works and even how specific specialties or areas function and you know i've, I've said this to a lot of different pas that i'm friends with like i'm really glad i get to train alongside you because you bring a perspective that my colleagues don't like my md colleagues mm. and you know, that perspective and that insight and that guidance, like there's something to be said when you work in healthcare, you have a better understanding of like what to expect going forward. And you bring practical knowledge to the table during these more formative discussions. Chris and Liz, how did you get your preclinical or your, what did you call them? 
clinical hours. How'd yeah. you get your clinical, clinical contact hours, hours yeah. however you want to phrase that. So I graduated from undergrad and then went and got a job at one of the hospitals in my hometown, Marion, Iowa. So I worked at St. Luke's in the PACU app. Surprisingly enough, that's not one you usually find PAs or NAs, but I worked there for a year working with crit care nurses, anesthesiologists, surgeons, got to see them all the time, and then floated around to a couple different floors in the hospital as well. So I spent my time there and got a really good look at what the hospital system looks like. And even those higher levels of care, like I said, being elbow to elbow with the surgeons and anesthesiologists on a 15 minute basis was an amazing experience. I worked as a nursing assistant on an oncology urology floor in the Twin Cities, which is where I'm from. And then I got the majority of my hours working as a medical assistant in an orthopedics practice up there. I would say a huge benefit for PAs listeners may know that we are the number one PA program in the country. Yeah, we don't want to brag, but we're pretty freaking awesome. We love it here. We love it here. Uh, And I strongly believe that that is in great part due to our training model. We have the benefit of accessing everything that comes with a well-established medical training curriculum that many PA students do not. Yeah. So there is so much that is built up here to provide the MD students with an excellent curriculum that now we also have access to, whether that's specialists in the field teaching our classes to just the access of things like this, you know, arts and humanities tracks, mm-hmm. electives that most other PA programs don't offer. So if there's any other prospective PA students out there, check Iowa out. It's pretty awesome. It sounds like a richer experience. Absolutely. That was, that was the number one thing that drew me to attending this school. To go along that point of like why we're probably the number one PA program in the nation is mentorship. You know, that's something I've always said for the MD program. We have a lot of that, but it seems to be, I mean, like I've met a a fair amount of PA faculty and staff and they are here for the students. Like they are so driven and passionate for their success. And it's cool because when you have this model of like collaborative and collaborative, you know, formative experiences with students and we bring in a lot of different you know experiences and backgrounds but then you have people driven who are dedicated to their success and bringing even more to the table i mean like liz and chris and like the rest of our pa students here are going to be just like absolute leaders in their field oh i hope so i would say one thing to highlight from this though is that iowa's curriculum in general is unique because we compact our pre-clinical coursework into a year and a half yes so it lines up very nicely with the pa curriculum as well and i know that i always wonder if there like will be a move towards this year and a half for medical students pre-clinical work because it allows us to go to school with pas and other schools since there's it's two years and normally pa curriculum is two it, two and a half okay yeah so sometimes it doesn't always line up yeah, historically here, since the PAs and the MDs were always working together, at least for many, many years, since I've been here the last 20 years, compressing the MD program to a year and a half, which I think took place in like 2016, I would say, we had to accommodate both the PA and the MD program. So that's why you get this sort of side benefit, I guess you could call it, to a year and a half PA preclinical so that's an interesting point brie and dave as step one has moved to pass fail g bless and step two is being scored still as i understand it correct me if i'm wrong because i'm not in right but from my understanding it would be beneficial to have the opportunity to have more clinical training when you take step two and that's why carver students often do quite well on step two so with the move to going pass fail that could be potentially beneficial for getting md students into clinic earlier mm-hmm. yeah we are like our model programs. is innately better prepared for this because we get into clinic sooner we have more formative clinical experiences starting the first semester which you know that all of us get to experience and uh, yeah i think that definitely prepares us and that's why our students do so well on step two so that would be interesting to see if more md programs make a move to condense their pre-clinical curriculum in an effort to provide that clinical experience You know, it wouldn't surprise me to know that that's at least in the back of many, you know, schools minds. But again, it's a, it was, I remember the whole curriculum redesign was a tremendous Mm. amount of work. I mean, it sounds pretty easy. You just ask some shit that you don't want to talk about anymore 
And, you know, Bob's your uncle. You got a year and a half of. But no, you still have to talk about all those things. You just have to do it in a year and a half. Yes. I'm sure there were some things that, you know, ultimately they were like, okay, we don't need to know about this particular statin among the zillions of statins there are. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. You still got to cover that stuff. Yes. Listeners, if you ask us a question, it means that I don't have to make something up to talk about on the show. And the show becomes what you want it to be. So send your questions to the shortcoats at gmail.com or leave a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. I think it'd be great to talk about team practice and the role that plays in modern medicine. I was talking about this before the podcast, but kind of over the past 100 years, we've moved away with the doctor's mail wandering around southern Minnesota operating on people in their homes to that seems like a good change yeah yeah although they made it work you know marginally beneficial you gotta do what you gotta do but yeah you know no but that was actually their development of you know what's great about that i just want to point this out you know what's great about this In, in 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 the history of the md profession right yeah back in the early 1900s late 1800s people were like drink and vomit Physicians were like drink, tasting vomit to like see what was in it and like, you know, pouring blood into their eyes. I don't know what they were doing. Uh, your pee is sweet. I think you have something wrong. But yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Like diabetes. <laughs> Maybe some diabetes. <laughs> Just dabble a little bit of urine. I, you guys, you PAs missed out on all that. Not yeah. one PA ever had to take a sip of urine to figure out like what was going on. With I surely hope not. But they still get the scotch tape test people's buttholes. Well... <laughs> Gotta look for parasites. <laughs> Aren't you super happy that that's a fun fact you know now? <laughs> it's it's a fact, all right. I don't know about fun. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I, uh, I was seized by a moment of like joy to be able to talk about you know drinking. One might say you had to scratch that itch. I do a whole <laughs> <laughs> another anal paritis joke. Yes. <laughs> No, I mean, that's an excellent point. So (laughs) our profession is uh, not not having to worry about some of this. It's great. (laughs) No, but, you know, as I was saying, when that transition started to be made from individual physician seeing their own patients completely by themselves to, hey, maybe it would be better if we specialized in things and we took care of people together And the Mayo brothers were some of the first people that really modeled that at the Mayo Clinic. And that's why it became so well known is because they were like, we're going to do this one surgery again and again until we get it right. And now we're the best in the world. Um, But as we've seen that transition take place and done more and more research on it, there's a lot of research that shows that team based practice improves patient outcomes and PAs are critical to that, I think. And like in another addition into that, the team based model, but the move away from patriarchal medicine, Mm. like one person is the end all be all like it's a team, which, you know, when we we had a lot of training in, you know, error prevention and, and, and trying to be conscientious of mistakes and avoiding them. I think it's a great way. A team based perspective allows, you know, multiple eyes observing a, you know, the situation and allowing to have a better opportunity to, you know, prevent a like a near miss or a potential adverse outcome. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does. And it also causes us all to check our ego at the door. Right. And so another thing Chris and I were saying earlier today is the important thing. One of the most critical things as a healthcare provider is to know your own limits. What can I do? What should I do? And do I know to do by myself or with other people? And where do I need to draw that line where now I need to say, hey, Rick, can you review this case with me or call up the clinical pharmacist and say something doesn't seem right about this person's drugs? And that's true of every single healthcare professional. This is not a place to hedge your bets and just say, well, I think this is right. You know, we are taught again and again, if you don't know the answer, say, I don't know. Don't make something up about what your patient said or didn't say, because that could be like a life changing mistake for that person. And when we talk about some of the conflict or yeah conflict i guess being the best word for it between the professions that has existed or exists currently there is a debate over what's the best role for a pa to fill versus a mddo to fill versus a nurse practitioner and i think a critical point that's often missed is in those conversations is the biggest thing that will help us move forward is each individual profession and person needs to maintain their own integrity. Like you need to know your limits 
whether you're a physician or, or not. And that will help us delineate those roles in family practice versus surgery versus other settings. Yeah, I definitely think on top of that, there is a, uh, I don't know if I'd say intrinsic desire, but the need of, I think definitely coming largely from the the physician perspective of to make this a black and white issue. And it's mm. just the problem is it's not. We can't have it black and white. There's got to be individuality to it to assess what's the best way to implement these, you know, all the different healthcare team members. You look at rural settings where you have underserved populations. This is something that Chris and I had talked about, you know the likelihood of getting physicians out in a town of 2000 is a lot is you know a lot less likely than a, a physician assistant where the the training isn't intense and you're not like the idea is to serve a greater amount of people and mm-hmm. to centralize that and so you're missing an opportunity to serve people and exacerbating a problem that exists Chris you might be able to add to it better and like essentially sell that better than I'm currently I think I am sure i i think it's really an issue that the American people themselves need to tackle as opposed to whether it's the AMA or the AAPA. We need to look at the healthcare system and see where our deficits lie. And this conversation of who is going to see the patient first or who should be seeing the patient, a PA, MD, NP, I think we need to take a look at the healthcare system and see, okay, if we don't have a lot of docs in the rural community, if we don't have them in some of the inner cities or some of these underserved populations, how are we going to get care to the patients? You got to set the ego of the profession aside. It's not MD versus PA. It's us for our patients. If there's a solution that we can come together and figure out how do we get these people treated? How do we get these people preventative care? How do we do it in a cost effective manner? How do we get them access to care that they can afford that is going to have high accuracy and high efficacy? And and a lot of this is uh, some of this is at least some of this is economic. Oh, 100%. I don't know what physician pay looks like in rural areas, but in many rural areas for PAs, the PA is actually the pay is actually quite competitive. Yeah. Because there has to be an incentive to get people I guess out that's there. true, yeah. So I don't know if that's true for physicians as well, but for PAs, you're often paid more the farther you are away from a metropolitan area. I think I, I can't you know, obviously there's you know again individuality to it, but I know that right now, and this is awesome that's happening, you know, with the increasing emphasis on preventative care and continuity care with patients, um, there's been increasing emphasis on primary care. And so those, you know, are getting reimbursed better now than they have been in the past because we realize the role that they play is so important. I think there are incentive programs now, right, for physicians to go to rural areas yes. and then in turn they'll get some of their debt paid off. But there are downsides for sure. I mean, that physicians face that may be unique. For example, PAs are generally not involved in bench research. And if a physician like future Dr. Gardner wants to do cardiology bench research or research in conjunction with a major academic medical institution, he does not have that opportunity in rural Iowa. Yeah, that's exactly correct. I mean, that's the reason why you know, among other reasons, you know, I, I need to be at like, my goal is to be an academic medicine physician and right. that's not going to be afforded to me in a rural community. No. That's just not possible. Right. No. There are other kinds of research you could do there, but yeah, it's very specific, but it is absolutely interactive with society and economic components. So an example of that is PAs. There, there was a long time when PAs weren't reimbursed the same way from things like Medicare, right? So that's changing now. For a visit, you didn't get the same reimbursement. Correct, correct. And so in 2022, I don't know the, I would have to look at the exact changes, but PAs are now getting, as of January 2022, will be reimbursed by Medicare. But something like like that. one with physicians? I I would have to look. I don't want to misstate anything, but it's an improvement from where we were at and a lot of our population has that as a healthcare option, etc. Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Yeah. Thank you. Liz and Chris, I was wondering if you two could touch on how your practice as a PA differs depending on what hmm. state you are in. Like, what would your practice look like here in Iowa as compared to, for example, working in Chicago? Sure. I don't have the answer on top of my head for every state, but it falls in a long line of spectrum. So state to state, you get different practice rights as PAs. Your work contract with your physician supervisor changes state to state as well for what's mandatory. Some states, you might have very little oversight where if I'm five years into my field as a PA, 
I can go see patients in the ER, urgent care, family med, et cetera, and just have a physician there checking on my charts every once in a while and basically just being there as a helping hand should I need something. Something comes up that I'm not really prepared for. Whereas other states, it's a little bit more strict where they need to be in direct proximity of me pretty much at all times. They have to be on staff with me at all times and they need to co-sign every single note that I put in the EMR. So you'll kind of see that dichotomy depending on what state you're looking at. And it, like okay. I said, it is on a continuum as well. I think one reason why this is changing now is COVID. Um, yes. I know that in the past, like I, I know that in May of 2020, several states changed their laws in relation to PA scope of practice. And I believe that the change was more to let it was to change it from a MD supervises PA to MD delegates to PA. This follows, I think, a really interesting like trend. And this is the name change that the APA has decided to undergo. Associate guys, physicians. Is physician that what you're talking about? Would you guys physician associate. Would you guys be able to speak yeah. more about that? Because I think that kind of plays into the role of the changing I like appreciation or idea of the role of the physician assistant from like an assistant type to person who's actually has a level of autonomy yeah. and can do what you described you want to do, being yes. a diagnostic yes. clinician. Yes. So I guess what I'll start by saying is PAs have operated seeing their own patients in that role, diagnosing, seeing patients initially in the setting of, for example, an ER or a family practice clinic for a long time. Yeah. So that is not new. The What is changing is the legislation state by state and on a national level of what schedule of drugs can PAs prescribe by themselves without a co-signature? What kind of charts do PAs need a co-signature on in general? Those are the kind of things that are changing. And a lot of them are now being determined at what they call a practice level. So the University of Iowa Healthcare and Clinics would determine what they want for a physician-PA relationship. And a couple more on top of that. How many physician assistants can be under a single supervising physician? Yeah. Some states it's one to one. They're trying to up that two to one, 10 to one, 20 to one, et cetera. Probably not that high. And then also what the maximum distance or reach time between a PA and a physician needs to be. So if I'm working in a rural med clinic, um, I might be the only person in that clinic on that day. My physician, my supervising physician is in office hours or at the hospital, but he needs to be within a certain geographical distance of me yep. if something were to come up or I need to be able to reach him via phone, et cetera. And so the, those are some of the expansion laws that are trying to kind of work in to allow us to operate not necessarily more independently, but to allow more of us to get out to where we need to be without having to have that very strict one-to-one relationship we were talking about. And an example of that is what Utah passed just this March where they have instituted a state law that says once physician assistants, PAs, have 10,000 clinical hours of work, they basically do not need a physician tether, is what they call it, I think. So most PAs generally do not go out and hang their shingle and start their own practice. Most MDs, DOs do not do that either. So they're probably still operating within a group, operating collaboratively because that's the nature of our profession. But legally, they don't have to have, I am tied to Dr. Rick Gardner, which is an interesting idea because 10,000 hours of clinical experience in the setting where a PA would truly be able to see their own patients, family practice, emergency medicine, urgent care, those kind of things is pretty equivalent or similar nearing on the level, the number of years that a resident would undergo in those specialties a pa is never going to be a neurosurgeon because that is just completely outside of our scope of practice we can work in neurosurgery but we are never going to be doing that surgery ourselves so that's an interesting change and there's different opinions on that the name change i will speak delicately about I don't know if you need to speak delicately. (laughs) I will say, I I guess what I'll say is I'm not sure that my opinions on it reflect the AAPA nor the PA program at the Carver College of Medicine. The idea behind the change is that the word assistant in physician assistant can be confusing to patients. And some patients ask if we are medical assistants, which is not even associate's degree level of certification. Um, an important player in the team, but not a clinician, not a diagnostician. And that can be confusing to patients feeling that they are receiving a lesser level of care. So the idea was to keep the acronym PA because people know what a PA is now socially. 
it's become widespread enough. But change the word assistant. The AMA and most specialty organizations have stated that they do not agree with the name change because there is concern that it will be confused with being an associate physician, which would be a physician in a group of physicians working together. And honestly, I understand that concern. I guess the biggest reason for me why I'm not sure if it would be a priority if I were the president of the AAPA is that it costs quite a bit of money. And I personally feel that that money would be better invested in legislation that unifies PA practice across the states or promotes our profession in other ways. And I would just say, let's go by the acronym PA and just leave it at that. That's my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, because what I'm hearing is there's a lot, there's a tremendous amount of variability between states, unlike with the MD profession. Where there is some variability, but not that much. I mean, the MD role is pretty steady across states, whereas the PA role is just a little bit all over the place. So an example of where I would put that money is getting more PA training in women's health. Sure. Iowa is 50 out of 50th for the number of OB-GYN physicians to women in the state of childbearing age. And that's a problem in our maternal morbidity rates, especially for minorities are not great and there's not a lot of pas practicing in that field and there could be within a certain scope of practice where pas could be appropriately assisting with women's health and maybe establishing specialty care or a pa residency to attract more pas to that field would be a better use of that money Mm. what do you think chris Regarding the name change, I echo a lot of your sentiments to it. I don't think it was enough of a change to rectify the kind of problems that they were really facing. People viewing us as physicians with an apostrophe S assistant, which is not spelling wise correct, but that's what a lot of people view us as and pronounce it as that we are a physician, apostrophe S, we are their their assistant, as opposed to physician assistant, which is the proper title. People viewing us as a physician's assistant the AAPA felt undermined how much practice and how much time we put into our craft of medicine as we were discussing earlier in the show going through the first essentially two and a half years of med school side by side with the docs so they wanted something to represent that we are more than an assistant to a physician yes um, but not delineated us so far as to say that we are doctors because we most certainly are not we operate in a different realm and we operate in that collaborative realm and that is in my mind, where the profession, you know, should stay in that collaborative healthcare mentality. But calling us an assistant to a physician just does seem a disservice to how much time and effort and what benefit we can provide to the patient. If a patient walks into the room and sees that essentially we're an MA, a medical assistant, what can we do for them if their perception of us is that we can't treat them? Yeah, no, those are very fair points. And that's the basis of the name change. And I'm not in charge of these things. So how much thought I've actually put into it is probably limited to my shower maybe, thoughts. <laughs> maybe someday, Liz, because I, you know, I mean, I feel like we need a new word, basically. Because when you, you know what I'm saying? There's no, there's, there's no two words that you can fit into PA that I'm aware of that would make it easier to understand. No. You guys got to give it up. So maybe Liz, when you're the president of the APA or Chris, AAPA, underscore, underscore, (laughs) you know, you've got to come up with a new word. No, that that was my exact thought. When this issue started coming out that the APA really was going to tackle a name change, that was my personal opinion is that we, there should be a new word crafted, just like nurse is not synonymous with anything specifically else. That technically the term doctor is not synonymous with anything else. Physician assistant took two you know two established english words and put them together to display a concept as opposed to being a title but that is kind of the nature of our profession and this is true we were birthed out of the already established role of a diagnostic provider and we are a kind of weird awesome subset of that and i just you know one of the reasons why they kept pa as the acronym is because of legislation the sheer amount of documents, legislation that they will have to go through, even just to change physician assistant, 
but then also to change PA would be phenomenal and that would increase the cost. So there are those kind of things that went into the discussion of why they didn't change it and why they wanted a word with an A to be the second letter there. So it's interesting and I personally just feel that our efforts should go towards promoting knowledge of PAs, promoting knowledge of our training, you know, increasing accessibility to care in areas where it is really direly needed than this because it doesn't really solve the whole issue. But I understand. To elaborate more specifically on that point, I mean, I don't have the correct number off the top of my head, but to even do the name change that we're talking about, changing physician assistant to physician associate, we're talking the tens of millions of dollars over the course of four, five, six, seven years to get this change implemented across the board, get documents changed. What could that what could that money have been put towards otherwise? Liz has already brought up plenty of good instances that we could have furthered our career in a different way. I can't say in a better way. Yeah. But in a different way. That's an excellent way to put it, Chris. Wow. I did not know it would cost that much. Yeah, neither did I until I saw that fact. It was mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. You wonder if it's like better spent putting your efforts towards public awareness how can we inform patients that of your role and them to be you know this healthcare provider is going to treat you and be there for you and and we're here to increase access to healthcare and, and even bridge that gap right so like what if you put that money towards incentivizing hey you're a medical program does your school also like you know university of uh colorado denver like they have a pa program an md program here's mm-hmm. x amount of money if you want to combine them, let's have them train together, establish that trust from the beginning. I don't know. Could seems be cool. like a good, yeah, seems, that seems like a good idea to me. Thank you, Dave. <clears throat> I got you, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to make a quick clarification that it's not all doom and gloom. Um, it's not no. like we were, we are unrecognizable in our field. I know numerous amount of patients who see their PCP who identify their PCP as a physician assistant Mm -hmm. and absolutely love them. They know what the role and responsibility is and they know exactly where they are kind of in that hierarchy of their ability and skills. It is just kind of a 50-50 whether you have people who have interacted with PAs enough to know who they are, what they do, and people who don't even know what the acronym is and then on their first instance of hearing physician assistant have that kind of instance of thinking assistant yeah well can we talk about Haley arsenal do you guys know who she is no who's a Haley arsenal i i don't know if i'm pronouncing that correctly she was on inspiration four as the medical officer she was the first pa to go to space oh. uh this, this past month oh. yeah. you're talking about the the, the, SpaceX, the spacex flight, flight of yes. civilians yes which has its, its own rabbit hole and <laughs> yeah, yeah. that goes but She was a cancer survivor and has a prosthetic limb, which is a limitation for you cannot be an astronaut currently and have a prosthetic limb. Per NASA. There's a lot of things you actually aren't allowed to do with a prosthetic limb. And she now works as a PA at St. Jude's. And the whole fundraising effort of Inspiration4 was to raise money for St. Jude's. And so she served as the medical officer and was the first PA and first person with a prosthesis to go to space i did not know that pretty cool thank you for sharing there's a netflix yep. special on it if you're uh, looking for some weekend watching Interesting. That's good. what is it called inspiration Ooh. for i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> i can't quick, remember a quick google search later will tell you all your answers dr google still running the show but, but the point is we have a couple there's a pa currently serving in i think the national house of representatives there are pas doing really cool things in public spaces promoting our profession and we are more well known and we are really lucky to have an amazing relationship with physician colleagues where we can promote our profession in a way that's beneficial to patients. I do think that can be improved upon and that isn't like directing at the PAs. I I just I think like coming from like hearing what I know presenting what I know about Iowa and how the Iowa's uh division or like sub branch of the ama and then like the i was branch of the aapa their interactions as a student who like that's my professional organization like that's like i feel really just really depressed and sad about how they interact with each other like these are supposed to be the leaders of our field and in terms of how they interact with our colleagues i mean basically it's shit talking and undermining and it's just not healthy and that's where like you said like 
I forget what it was specifically, but like wanting to like change the name or like whatever that mm-hmm. I feel like, oh, I, I that's not my role, but it can be like yeah. we are the next generation that is going to, you know, become, you know, the, the next leaders of our fields and we can make these changes. And that's what I hope to do. Like, I hope to really bring forth a lot of these changes of being more collaborative, seeing more to eye, eye, eye to eye and collaborative with my colleagues and essentially building a healthier, you know, healthcare team for the patient, because in the end, that's who it's going to benefit most. Yeah. And. It's not just it's not just in terms of, you know, like efficient practice or anything like that. I mean, it gets at the core relationship between the physician and the, and, you know, with the doctor and the PA mm-hmm. is you need to see each other as colleagues. I heard that our professional organizations don't even talk to each other like they I, are in such hostile. Isn't it wild that they will not wow. do collaborative events together? Really? Yeah, I, like, I'm not familiar with the workings on a state level, to be honest. I'm not either, but just hearing from our advocacy chair who wanted to, you know, hold a collaborative event with our PA rep who wanted to get the AA or like the Iowa AAPA branch together. They're like, they just don't want to work together. Interesting. And that's it's like, that's pathetic. It's, yeah. it's asinine. It's, it's disgusting. It's disgraceful. It's, it's everything against what our profession should be. Absolutely. It, it should be upstanders who are there trying to progressively change and make things better. If and whatever so move, in our way, if whatever move you make, you have to ask yourself, how does this affect our patients? I mean, that's why we're employed in the first place. If you want to, and it doesn't matter across the board, if you want to make a name change, if you want to stand up to the AMA or AAPA, if you want to lobby for something for Congress to go through, if it takes you 18 board meetings to figure out what the rationale is as to how this helps a patient, I think you're barking up the wrong tree. (laughs) At what point are you protecting your prestige as opposed to helping your neighbor? And like, in terms of like how like, physician assistant credibility and such like that that's something that the ama could totally help with like yeah working collaboratively to extend your outreach and like your un- the understanding of potential patients and current patients have of your role and the benefits that you bring like this is this could be all encompassing we could be doing this so much more effectively and efficiently and like a- accomplishing so much more at a greater pace yeah but we're mm-hmm. not the interesting, by personal choice really yeah mm-hmm. the interesting thing is uh, and this happens in in any sort of realm that has politics involved, but it seems that it's a minority that have a very loud voice because in my experience, the vast majority of physicians that I have interacted with are always like, oh my gosh, we love PAs, we love PA students, I'm so glad you're here, and that is across multiple states. And so it feels like some of this might be organizational, and that's even more of a problem because then it's not representing the feelings of the physician's PAs in that state. That's even more of an issue. This is America. That's an interesting observation. Yeah, because you're right. It's, you know, doctors don't go around saying, I hate PAs. No. PAs don't go around saying, I hate doctors. You know, that's, yeah, that's no, no, not it's how it true works. from the flip side of things, uh, too. It's really true from the flip side of things and how we value each other. And it's the majority appreciate the roles that we play. Like, you know, I'm willing to reach out. I know that limitation. I'm willing to reach for help. And I trust you because you know your limitation. Like that is the most of like the majority of healthcare. It's that loud few that are like, nah, PAs are a bunch of crap. Like we won't trust them. It's like, well, what? where does that come from? You know, like, is that a personal, is that a personal problem? You got like a moral injury going on? Like, unfortunately, Oedipus complex or something going on. That that problem pervades more. That's not what that is. What is it? I don't know. We'll talk later about the Oedipus complex. <laughs> That's not just a specific problem between the AMA and the AAPA. Most common Americans will know that that is an Ameri- a yeah. duly yeah. American problem. The loud few say what they want for the party, and that's not the that's not the thoughts and feelings of the majority. The loud minority rules the majority, and that's what's happening here too. Most of the physicians out there, most of the PAs out there, have an amazing collaborative relationship where they're working together every day, day in and day out, to do what they can for their population. But it's those that are going to stick their heads up and shout the loudest that get the cameras on them, the attention Mm -hmm. on them. And those are the ones that are leading the charge for whatever they think is right. And honestly, this comes full circle. Like this is the advantage of going to school, physician assistant, PA students going to school with medical students and vice versa. Like we are the next generation. We need to stand up and talk about issues that are important and that that need change. And so... 
and staying consistent okay. on them. Cause I feel like this is something that is, is so true is we come in with all these ideas and like, we're the like loud bunch, but we're the, not the listen to bunch. And the training then kind of beats that out of us. And we got to keep up on that. We mm. got to get to the point where we're in our careers and still want to be loud and still want to be rowdy and still want to be an activist for positive change and doing it in a collaborative way, both with both inside our, our own profession and intercollaboratively with other professions. That's um, a great point. I mean, maintaining that fire. Because people it's, just get so it's difficult out. to do over the years. Mm-hmm. It's like um, like physicians and just because that's the perspective I know. Physicians know they should be lobbying for change in healthcare policy because it will benefit our patients. Because in, in in like actuality, we only have twenty to thirty percent of actual impact on our patients' health. All these other social determinants of health have yes, much larger right. impact than we could ever wish to like afford. And we need to be able to lobby, but we're just so burned out doing our own job, doing mm. that 10, 20 to thirty percent that we can't even get to that point. It's just. It's a it's a, a a hell of a system to say the least. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we had this. Is there anything else we want to want to cover before I wind up the show so you can guys can get on to your next thing? I think Maybe we've talked you, about. You want, a lot. you want to talk about the events happening at Carver? Not that uh, oh. not a lot of people are going to have, but I think it's cool to focus on like what cool things are happening for PA Week here at Carver. Yeah. Well, we have some awesome events coming up. I won't talk about all of them, but it it goes to highlight what Bree was saying is we truly do have a collaborative relationship training uh, here at Carver. And so we're doing a panel sometime next week where PAs and MDs are from practice are going to talk about their roles and how they work together. And we're doing some PA specialty panels for our current PA students where they can hear about PAs working in different areas of medicine and, and the roles they play and some other fun stuff that's rather specific to our students. So I won't belabor, but cool. we love it at Carver. Yeah. And Sarah on the uh, chat on the, um, Facebook group says uh, she thinks relationships between Iowa Medical Society and Iowa AAP have improved recently. This year, they've collaborated on an event on this topic last oh, dope. semester. Hopefully, uh, we can do it again this year, she says. So cool. That's Be good. Great. Yeah, sounds, I'm not like, aware sounds like some progress is being made. And I'm glad to highlight, or, you know, Sarah highlighted on optimistic, up and coming news. Like, yeah, yeah. That's like, it is we talk about a lot of jewelry things because we like to have like hard conversations but we have to focus on good things do happen and we want to like embrace those and grow from those yeah to those two societies keep up that good effort try to do what you can and lead the charge for other states to do the same thing yeah sounds good that's our show Liz, Brianna, Chris, Rick thank you for being on the show with me today thanks dude thanks Thanks for having us and what kind of carbuncle would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us a part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available. Our editors are AJ Chowdhury and Eric Bozart. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox. And Catmosphere, I'm Dave Etler saying don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, short coats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. 